This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and Guy Hammond of Strength in Weakness Ministries hosted a track called Cultural Issues and Disciple Making. Here's today's track session from Strength in Weakness Ministries. Josh Patrick, and this is Jeff Hickman. Uh, we are honored to participate in this discussion on race relations and the local church. Uh, just to err on the side of transparency, uh, if, if you get the impression, especially, I can only speak for myself, I bet you would agree with this though, Jeff, uh, that somehow uh, I'm an expert on race relations. Uh, I don't, don't be fooled. Uh, Eugene Peterson once said that uh, in the company of Jesus, there are no experts, only beginners. And so especially uh, with my family history, uh, I, I am uh, I'm deeply ashamed of where my family has been with regard to race. My great-grandfather on my dad's side uh, was a grand dragon in the Ku Klux Klan. And there was a deeply embedded sense of bigotry and racism in my family system that was insidious and evil and in opposition to the will and heart of God. It's the most embarrassing part of my family. And I've got some pretty embarrassing things. Uh, If you could circle a family on planet Earth that should not have produced Christians, let alone pastors, it'd be my family. And so uh, I'm a walking miracle, like I think every Christian is, right? But I, how, how Jesus is undoing the effects of racism in my story, my brother's story, well, only Jesus could do it. Uh, but I just, I wanted you to show, show you my cards. This is really personal and intense as a topic. I also lived in Memphis uh, for seven years and uh, was involved passionately in Jesus honoring uh, racial reconciliation efforts. And I don't know of a more racially charged city in the United States than Memphis, Tennessee is. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a little bit about me. Jeff, tell us a little bit about you. Absolutely. You mind if I pray first? Has it come to that? You know? (laughs) (laughs) I just feel it. Do it, man. Father, I'm just uh, grateful to be here grateful to just be alongside Josh as we really try to uh, discuss a topic that is very challenging for for really all of us on some level. And Father, I do pray that we can have a spirit of humility, that we can be filled with your Holy Spirit, that that we can say things that would would honor you. And uh, Father, I do pray that really in this room that we can all have a spirit of humility and and, uh, just really realize that none of us has all the answers. Father, we just look to you for wisdom. We look to you for guidance. We know that you've created all things. And Father, we want to be ambassadors and be image bearers of you uh, in this crazy world that we live in. So I just pray that you can use this time to, I really pray it is edifying and uh, encouraging and challenging and whatever you want it to be. 
Father, I pray we can get out of the way and just uh, really have a, a meaningful time together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 So, yeah, go for it, man. Tell, give us some Jeff Hickman unplugged. Or, oh, yeah. Unplugged, unhinged, whatever you need. Yeah. Uh, go for it. Well, I, first of all, I, uh, both of my parents are black, which I've learned to say that early on because what I've learned is throughout my entire life, most people assume that one of my parents is white. Um, and sometimes people can just begin to already process things about me. So I think it's helpful to just throw that out there. I know there's some white in my family tree. I just never met the person. I don't know. Never met them. Don't know who they are. Uh, never heard a name or anything. So my whole life, I've self-identified as a black person in my entire life. Um, and so I, you know, I grew up in a single parent home. Um, my, my uh, I was, you know, I was the result of college kids having, you know, a little too much fun type thing. So that's honestly grew up as a baby, you know, my mom's roommates babysitting me and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm grateful she graduated. And, uh, but my parents, their marriage didn't last very long. And so I grew up really with my mom. And, uh, and so my mom, you know, she, she did the best she could and I'm just very grateful for her. And, uh, but you know, she was, I think she was overcompensating sometimes and trying to be both parents. And um, <clears throat> she did a phenomenal, phenomenal job, I think, of just teaching me uh, really a lot of great basics to, to be a person of character. But quite honestly, since we're talking about you know, race, I think in that specific area, I must say that it was taught to me. I mean, and if you're a parent, you know how you have those speeches that you give? You have like nine different variations, but it's the same yes, basic speech, you know. Um, but I definitely got that speech early. You know, like, okay, Jeff, you know, this is not our world. This is the white person's world. You've got to watch yourself. You're going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far. You need to learn how to win at their game. We don't control the structures of this, co this country. We never will. And so you're going to have to figure out how to conduct yourself in their world. Do not trust white people. They will smile at you when you're in, in front of them, but they will not have your best interests at heart when you are not there. You've got to, you have got to know that, Jeff. This world is set up against you. Wow. So, I mean, I'm just saying, so that message was reinforced by many other families that, I, that were, you know, black as well. So it was, it was just known. It was, it was kind of like the police talk that every black kid gets, you know. Don't do anything. Just be, yes, sir, no, sir, and all that. Um, we all got that. So that's my, that was my worldview, you know, growing up. And, and my mom and my grandmother were hardcore on education, man. I mean, it was like serious. And uh, my grandmother was an educator, and she was on my mom, and my mom put it put it on me. It was discipling going on right there uh, in my family uh, when it in, you know when it came to education. So my mom noticed that I was getting A's and doing no homework, and so she was like, "You need to you need to be challenged." And so she got two extra jobs and uh, put me in a private school. And uh, from 6th grade to 12th grade, I left the public school system, mostly, you know, black kids, whatever, and then went to the private school situation from 6th grade to 12th grade, where I was one of, like, three or four black guys. So it was a total flip. What city was this in? Dallas, Texas. Okay. And that's where I grew up. So, so then, I, then I was confronted with, wow, just being 
the other, totally other, and being, now I'm really understanding all those lessons my mom <laughs> about this is not your world, and you know, just getting really learning about how to live life as a black person, uh, really, and as a deep minority. And, uh, and after I graduated, I went to Princeton, which perpetuated, it's pretty much the same. Really? Very, you know, Ivy League school, mostly white, very small back black population. Uh, and so, you know, that's, I, I just, I've grown up in that environment um, a lot. And, uh, and even in our church, you know, I think we've, the, the part of the International Church of Christ, and, you know, I think we've done, we've got a lot of great uh, situations where we have some great um, you know, racial harmony in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, but there are a lot of congregations, the one I'm part of now when I first got there, it was probably about 80% white, you know, and, and I'm in Atlanta right now. Um, so I've, I've, I've been in a lot of situations uh, where I feel like I've had to navigate my way through uh, the, the racial issues of our culture. And, um, but, you know, praise God for the, the scriptures, you know. Yes. Well, thank you for the, uh, the introductory info and for, for a bit of your story. So just so you guys know what we're doing, I'm going to interview Jeff which is going to be a lot of fun and a great honor. I think now you know why we're interviewing him because you're going to get a lot of wisdom uh, and just from his experiences and, and, and what God has called him to do and the really unique, what's the best way to describe it? When I hear about the church you're in, not just from you but from others, it's, like a, it's a really unique spiritual ecosystem where it's unusual. I'd say it's probably the 1% in terms of racial diversity. Because we all know that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. Uh, and especially in America, and most especially in the South. Um, and so we, we also wanted to save some time toward the end for Q&A. So if you have questions, uh, we probably won't be able to do too many questions, but uh, my friend Damien Charlie, uh, who's down here in the front, your brother, he's, uh, he's going to pass a mic around later. So as we talk... If you could write questions down, so there's that ringing again. We'll just assume that's the Holy Spirit uh, saying yes. Uh, so, all right, let's start. You ready to be interviewed, brother? Ready to All right. So, how would you describe this current cultural moment with regard to race? Wow, that's a big one. Yeah. I I, well, first of all, I think I would say there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of anger, uh, there's a lot of defensiveness, ignorance. I, I feel like that, that is our current moment. There's a part of me that feels like, while there's nothing new under the sun, I mean, on one level, this, this type of stuff's been going on as long as people have been people. Uh, but I think in the United States at this moment, it would be naive to say that after, after electing the first black president and then having another president kind of almost polar opposites and them not having a great relationship, that that has, not, has nothing to do with our moment right now. I think that would be very naive and very simplistic. So I do think somehow this politics has kind of added a little bit of kind of, you know, gas to the fire, so to speak, uh, where we almost put a lot of hope and faith in our government systems, I think, to help guide and navigate through situations. And now it almost seems like sometimes it's fueling uh, 
the, the challenges that we face. I mean, wow, how can you not turn on the news, whether it's Charlottesville or Blue Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter and Colin Kaepernick and Nash? It's just affecting almost every area of our lives. And uh, so I think, I think people are, in general, I think there's a lot of anger and a lot of fear. Yeah. And some people are getting hopeless, I think. You know, I mean, I thought it'd be better by now. Uh, and then you've got people that are clueless, like, what's the big deal? I mean, wow, be happy. Hired a black, you know, elected a black president, things are great. You've always going to have those folks. And uh, it's, I think there's a lot going on uh, that, that people are feeling, but I don't know if they know how to process those feelings. And, and I don't think there's a lot of safe places to express where they even think they are. Um, so I think there's a, lot, there's a lot going on in our moment right now. It's complicated, huh? It's complicated, man. And dramatic. It is. I, matter of fact, I was at I, I was at church, right? So there's this brother. Let's call him JC. JC's a good dude. Grew up in Georgia his whole life. Married. He's like probably early 30s. You know, just a good old dude. You know, great guy. Just gentle, giant kind of guy. He, he came up to me after church. He's like, Jeff, I need to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? And he pulled me aside. He's like, and, and he had the quiver lip going. And he's a non emotional guy. But I, he was emotional just from the get-go. I'm like, what is going on with, with him? And he's like, Jeff, I, I just experienced something. I don't know, and I don't know what I feel about it, but I feel something, and I need to talk to you about it. He, he was like, man, I was, I was, I was at church, and I, I saw one of my buddies, you know, a member of the church, and I'm just feeling a lot, and I just asked him, I said, man, what do you think about the, the Black Lives Matter and the Blue Lives Matter and the dude that got shot and, He's like, man, how do, you, how do you feel about it? What are you processing? It was, a, it was another white brother. And he said that when he said that to the, to the white brother, the white brother looked around and said, hey, shh, shh come over here. And, and he kind of, they had to go off to the side. And this is right after church. People fellowship and everywhere. So they go off to the side and have this discussion, you know, where this, where this other white brother kind of said some things that didn't sit well. Really? On a racial level. Yikes. And so that, that's what brought JC to me. He's like, first of all, why can't we just talk? We're in the house of God. Why can't we just have a conversation? Why do we have to go off to the side? I don't, he said, I didn't like that. And then what he was saying, I, I can't believe that this is a brother in Christ and he's feeling that. And so this, this guy is very, he's taller than me. He's crying. And I'm like, wow. He didn't even know how to process it. Yeah. The same day. I get a text message from a totally different brother. This is a black brother, and but he, you know, he worked at, in Silicon Valley for two companies that, if I named them, you'd know exactly who they were. Very professional guy, uh, and he was very upset about something totally different because he'd been on Facebook and he had seen some posts of fellow members, people that he felt like he was connected to and cool with. But he saw what they posted on Facebook, and he was so offended about the racial, what he perceived as racial insensitivity, that he was demanding I do something about it. You know, he was like, you have got to preach on this. This is absolutely wrong. I don't trust that person. I don't want to see them at church. Mm. Wow. So you're asking me, how does it affect? It, yeah, it's affecting people. But even in the church, even in the church, even though even people that are sitting next to each other on Sunday, they're processing their world through different filters, yeah. which is, I, I think, the problem. Yeah. 
Well, what's interesting to me is that, and it's encouraging. I mean, you're in the, you're in the, the thick of it, and sometimes when you're in something, it's hard to see the good or the virtue. But the fact that, number one, you're, you're talking to, to white believers and black believers in your church, and they're under the same roof. Their feet are at the same table uh, every week at communion. That alone is defying gravity right now. And the fact that y'all are talking about it and they're being transparent with you uh, about it, that's pretty cool. Uh, but I wanted to pick up on something you said. You, you mentioned anger. You mentioned fear. And as best I can tell from the teachings of Jesus, both of those are toxic to the soul. And they are, they're overwhelming and pervasive emotions around race. Uh, I also, I hear anxiety. Like, I feel anxious when I, when I do turn on the television every 90 days and like, I wonder what's going on today. Or I go read the headlines and, and the media tells you what to be outraged about today. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, I mean, I feel a sense of, I feel my heart rate increasing and my blood pressure rising. And it's like they, they want that. Uh, they, they, uh, I think they call it on the internet clickbait. Mm. You know, some crazy, divisive, explosive, uh, inflammatory headline, and you've got to click it, and then you're told what to think, believe, and how to interpret the cultural conditions of today. And it's an insult to my intelligence. Yeah. And certainly an insult to my spirituality. But I think most people just let it wash over them, right? And then... Those emotions that rise up when they experience media, then they go on social media, and then it's it's really bad there, right? How do y'all do? You see crazy stuff on Facebook with your church members about race and politics and stuff like that. I got to be honest with you, man. I I don't like Facebook that much, and I'm not saying it's a sin. I'm just saying for me as a man, one man, I just I'm not into it that much. Now, my wife posts pictures all the time. I have somebody, oh, your girls look great. You know, my wife posts everything, but I'm, I'm rarely on there. But after this brother mentioned something to me, I just kind of decided, oh, let me just take a stroll and see what's going on. Uh, and it is, it, it was one of them, I, I vividly remember, one of them, it was a, a sister that I've been in her home. She's been in mine. We're, we're, we're friends. We're not even, we're friends. Her husband and I are buddies. Their kids play with my kids. It's good stuff. But she had posted something, and one of the comments was, you know, it was, this, it was a white guy, but he was saying, you know, here, hey, let's get something straight, you know. Uh, you've never been a slave, and I've never been a slave owner, so you need to just drop it. Hmm. Okay. Is that true? Yeah, okay. It's technically very, very true. But there was something that didn't sit well with me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, wow, that that's really not going to help the situation. Uh, and so, but, but here's the deal. I know there's some people might be in this room. They go, yeah, exactly. What's the point? That's what I've been trying to say forever. People can think that way, right? Um, and so I, I can find myself getting drawn into it. And I felt it. I could feel my, I didn't like that coming. I don't like what it does. I don't like where it's headed. Um, and so how did I process it? Quite honestly, I got to go, how am I going to process this world? Either, either, either I have been born from above, born again, or I have not. Either, if, if we don't believe that when we become Christians and we get God's Holy Spirit, 
if we don't believe that we've been changed from within and have a new nature, then we then why do we even show up on Sunday? So I've got to process the world through the worldview of a person that actually believes that God doesn't care about my skin color. He doesn't. In fact, I'm almost to the point where I believe if God, I think if you gave somebody a Bible and they've never read anything else, they just handed it to them. They just read it from front to back. And if you ask them this question, do you believe God wants us to differentiate based on eye color? They would be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I, I didn't see one thing in there about eye color. Or Okay. Do you think God is concerned about your ethnicity? No, I don't think he's overly concerned about that because he's talking about going into all nations. He told the church to, he told the church that, hey, go. Go everywhere. Go to the, all the nations. He's not really worried about the nations. Ask me another question. See, I, I think we, but we just don't get it. We allow Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, name whatever. We allow them to dictate the narrative. We allow them to filter the world for us. We allow them to interpret the things that go on. And then we, this is what bothers me, Josh. I'm serious. This is what bothers me. And this is what I've preached. I'm tired of people being able to regurgitate the arguments of the latest news person or radio guy about whatever political, racial issue there is, but they cannot tell you where three scriptures are in the Bible. Wow. I'm tired of it. Don't, don't become so proficient at being able to, you know, describe uh, the health care benefits. Or, don't be proficient in all that. But you're unable to lead someone to Christ and to salvation with your Bible open. And that's, that's what I have a problem with. And to me, it shows me something. It shows me that they've not been regenerated, whatever word you want to use. You know, they, they haven't received that, that new birth from above, in my opinion. Or they've received it. And they haven't, they're not walking with God. They're not allowing scripture to be their standard. And that's our challenge, is that we have got to be people who come from the word of God. That's right. Yes. That's what we're going to have to do to combat this stuff, man. It's, it's our only hope, it, right? It's, that's what our hope is. When I walk out my door, who am I going to be, Josh? How am I going to process what goes on in front of me? Am I just going to do it based on what my mom taught me? And I love my mom. But if I go out on, on that, that's not good as a Christian man. I have to learn how to say that is not the way I'm going to live my life. Mm, that's good. Awesome. You know, I, I, uh, I just, I'm, we need you to be more passionate and clear. Okay. So what you're saying. I got to work on that. You're beating around the bush, man. I don't, <laughs> just come out and say it. Thank you, man. I, I, uh, I'm grateful that there's so much that you just said. One thing, we're really off the script now, which is fun, right? That's right. I, I, I thought about the just the idea of stories we live by, and we're all living by some story, right? There's, there's all. If you were to look at the the cultural stories that people live by, like the um, the performance story, you earn, 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 work, 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 and then you are your accomplishments. Uh, that gets transposed into church a lot, and you end up in a performance-based relationship with God, which creates spiritual anxiety, and we, I think we've all probably seen or experienced that, and it's not good. But there, there's also that anger, anxiety story. Uh, 
I don't know how you would describe the story that that your mother uh, told you uh, and the and the temptation to live by that story. The story in my family was uh, we are superior. Now, no one ever said that, but that was the impression, especially in this one wing of my family. But in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're given a better story. Mm-hmm. It's the story we live by. And, and so how, how has... How has a lifestyle of trusting and following Jesus changed the story that you personally live by? Absolutely. And, and I, I, I'm going to, here's the deal. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not, I, I, I actually believe this to be true. Uh, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Uh, I feel like I was rescued from the dominion of darkness. Uh, I, I lived in darkness. And part of living in darkness is approaching this world with a worldview of the flesh. And, and the way this world is set up is, you're, the way this, the American culture is, is look at somebody's flesh and if it's different than yours, no good. Be suspicious. You know, be suspicious or be superior or... Don't trust. That, that's the flesh, right? But the scriptures teach us our battle is actually not against flesh and blood. Yeah, yeah, right. That's clear scripture. I'm not even, that's just Ephesians 6. Read it. Put on the full armor of God. So when you walk out of your door, you need to put on the full armor of God. Don't put on MSNBC, Fox News, or CNN. And, and don't, don't do it. Put on, so you can take your stand against what? The devil's schemes, right? Because he's got schemes to get us to deal with each other based on the flesh. Because guess what? When we do that, look what happens. But we need to be like Colossians. This, we got to be like Epaphras who learns about the gospel message, goes to a place and shares about it. And the whole town changes, right? So I've got to believe that. And, and, and I've got to believe that God's word is more powerful than our social issues. So I've got to believe that. But I believe that a lot of us live as though it's impossible. Oh, Jeff, that's really cool if it's a Hallmark movie. But come on, bro. This is the United States of America. Things aren't really going to change. All right, dude, honestly, if, seriously, if that's what you believe, open up your Bible and rip out Jonah. Just rip it out because you don't really believe it. You don't believe it. You don't believe that God's word has the ability to change people. And Jonah is a great passage, for I think, for a lot of us because, because he was prejudiced. He didn't want to go to help those bad people. He was afraid that God might forgive him. He, he was. He, he was really a spiritual bigot in, in a lot of ways. So the bigger miracle in Jonah is not that he was swallowed by a big fish or whatever. It's that one grumbling, bad-hearted dude can give one message, it seems like, and, and a whole nation repent. Right? Yeah. I mean, he, God's word can do that. If we don't believe that God's word can change people, take John 4, just rip it out of your Bible because you don't really believe it. You don't believe... That Jesus can interact with somebody who's in deep sin, that woman at the well, who's different, who's other, Samaritan, and a woman. But he can have a meaningful interaction with her. Even though she's there to get water, what does the Bible say? She dropped her water jar. She was there to get water. She's like, I don't even need that anymore. I'm going back to my town. He told me everything I ever did. 
And what happened? The whole town gets changed. So what are we learning? We're learning that you know, if we, follow, if we make disciples who make disciples, that means we teach people to don't look at what the world looks at. Stop looking at this world through the view of the world and the flesh. Stop doing it. Become a disciple of Jesus. Who, when people were other than, if anything, he went out of their, his way. It seems you read Luke, the marginalized, those people. I mean, Jesus went out of his way to build them up. You know, so I, I like that. I love that about Jesus. I love that about the scripture. I was a Princeton English major, bro. You know how many books I had to read? A lot. You know what I'm saying? I had to write a, a thesis, undergrad thesis, 120 pages, right? Wow. But not one word changed my life. Not one. Not one word, not one class that I took from Cornell West, Tony Morrison. I took class from these people. Not one changed my life. I'm not going to be a groupie of smart people. I'm going to get into my Bible. I'm going to figure out how to live my life like this. And I believe if we do this with the person in front of us, that's our... That's our job, in my opinion, as Christian people. Just do it to the person in front of you. Teach them the scripture. Teach them the heart of Jesus. Make a disciple. Teach them to do it to somebody else. And at some point, yeah, I believe we can change the world. You know, and, and, and that's, what I, that's what I believe. So that's how I have replaced the story of don't trust white people and all of that. I'm replacing that. You know, what it sounds like to me is that uh, you do, of course, you do believe the story. And, You've got the story straight, but in, in, you sound like someone who doesn't just have the story, but the story has you. I believe it's, that. It's, it's, in, it's in you now. And that's the goal. You mentioned the new birth. And that this, this story of this man who broke down every barrier between God and people. I mean, that the woman at the well narrative is just maybe the most remarkable moment with regard to race in all four Gospels, right? I mean, Jews and Samaritans, I, I was told that the tension there was even worse than uh, what was happening in the, during the Civil Rights Movement in the South. It's even, it, was, it was even more intense than that, which I can't even imagine. Uh, but Jesus crossed those barriers. She was the wrong gender, wrong religion too, so she had a theological barrier, gender barrier, uh, a moral barrier because she was living in sin and, and then there was a, uh, an ethnic barrier. So I mean, there's four major barriers that when I'm having a bad day, I'm not willing to cross any of them. Jesus runs through in, in like, a, like a battering ram through all four. Right, but Josh, don't, don't you think that people, all those barriers you talked about, I just feel like we feel that Congress is going to figure it out. Oh yeah. Our city council will pass something that will figure all that out. That's the way we, I think that's the way a lot of people live their lives. Yeah. They really believe that all these barriers, all these social problems, we just have to really elect the right people. And, vote you know, the right person. And, and if we can just get the right party in, it'll just, it'll really turn the corner. And I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to believe that. So, so yeah, Jesus and what he can do, one soul at a time, fish for men. <laughs> to me, that's the message. That's it. I mean, and, you know, so we got to figure out how to do that in our churches. Uh, in the local church, we got to figure out how can we be reflective of all nations in this place. And it's not easy. You know, but I believe that's what we're called to. It is. Now, here, now let's get into church now. Okay. 
So I am, I am fascinated by the story your church is living by now. How have you created and cultivated a church culture that is multiracial in Atlanta, Georgia? How have y'all done that? First of all, we have absolutely not arrived. So I, I really don't want it to come across as, you know, man, that church, they, they're just perfectly figured it all out. So, I mean, honestly, I really don't want that sentiment to come across. But I, I'm not going to be have a false humility either. I do think we've tried hard and prayed hard. And, and some good things are happening when it comes to racial situations. So I just want to temper it a little bit. Um, but, you know, the context that I'm in now is uh, it's, it, North River is where I'm at now. It, it, North River Church of Christ. And it, it began in, 2000, or in uh, 2005 um, with about 175 members. Uh, at that time, it was about... 85% white. And probably of that 85%, I would probably say 90% of them were probably middle to upper class. Hmm. I mean, probably. How I, old were they? I would say very few young married couples, very few single people, mostly families, empty nester types. Wow. Or kids in high school and college type. That was mostly... The demographic. Very few college students. Yeah, it just it was more a little bit older, whiter uh, wow. church, and uh, and it and it was a part of uh, a church of three thousand members. That was pretty. At one point, it was a it was one part of a church of about three thousand members uh, that had just a falling out and a lot of issues happened, and half the church just you know they lost about half their members in a mm -hmm. short amount of time. And the church leadership made the decision, it's going to be really hard to find one person that can lead 1,500, 2,000 people. But let's geographically deal with Atlanta, and you know, we'll have a, a group in the north, and you can find some, you can, a couple hundred people, you can probably find a minister for that. And so it kind of split up along those lines. And so North River was one of those that decided, okay, it's 2005, we gotta, we're going to go hire somebody. So they hired um, a minister, Tom Brown. Um, and Tom and I worked together when we were in California, and then a year after he was there, uh, they hired me and my wife, and so we moved to be there in 2007. And so now, I mean, now it's about 1,100 members, and it's probably about 55% white, probably about 35% black, and the rest other, you know, a mixture. Uh, and so it's, a, it's, been, uh, it's been cool to see, you know, but, uh, but we had to make some decisions. I mean, hire me was definitely one that they said when they hired me. Man, we just can't be a, <laughs> we can't have a staff that's just an all-white staff. I mean, it's just not good. We're in Atlanta. That's dumb. Uh, and so that was one of the decisions. Another decision is we're going to have strong campus ministries. We're going to have a, we're going to have a culturally diverse campus ministry. We refuse to have, and that's what happened. So we got Kennesaw State, Georgia Tech, Georgia State. We got, we have almost 200 campus students on it now. Wow. And probably split down the middle racially for all I know. I mean, it's, you know, that's pretty cool. I, I've, it's been fun to watch that happen. We've got about 150 single people uh, in the church. and just, But again, it's 55-35-ish it's, it's white-black. And so, but, you know, even musically, that's, that can be a challenge on Sundays, music. Well, tell us about that. Yeah. It can be a challenge, right? Um, and so, and even today, like I... 
I, I'm grateful for our worship team. They get there like, we just went to two services for the first time. So we're like totally, it's new for us. I know other churches have probably been there, done that. Um, so they get there like six, seven in the morning. They rehearse. Oh, yeah. And so I have nothing but respect for the, the worship team. You know, but for me, there are times when I feel like we're a little too much contemporary Christian, Chris Tomlin, mm-hmm. Hillsong. Yeah. With, who I like. I'm offended, right? I like. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and I like Chris Tomlin, and I like Hillsong United. I mean, I actually have their CD. I have their music. I listen to it. But there are some Sundays when I'm like, if I'm of another ethnicity, yeah. this is not reaching out to me. Yeah. Right? Even as I, I mean, be honest, even as I've been at this conference, there's been like one genre of music pretty much the whole time. And, it, and it, it's a subtle, just as a black person, it's a subtle statement like, we planned all this, but we, we, we didn't really have you in mind. Yeah. You know true. what I mean? It, it's like, you know, now, have I enjoyed the music? It's been excellent. You know what I mean? Great sound. The sound team's been balancing it out. I have not one bad thing to say about the worship team. Double thumbs up. All I'm saying is, it's been one type of music. You know what I mean? And like, I like, I gotta have a little Fred Hammond, a little, you know, a little something, you know, give me a little flavor. You know what I mean? At some point, that helps me worship. Um, so we've had those battles. And, 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 and I remember one time, one of our elders, great brother, just, you know, white male in his, 50s and grew up in the South, and uh, we had a sister up there one Sunday, and she sang a, a gospely black gospel big old song, man. Just and I'm up there just you love praising it. Jesus, man. I'm like, thank you, God. You know, I'm just like, I needed that. I don't know why I need it, but it 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 does something for my soul, right? And uh, so then, whatever we have our elders meet Monday night with the, me and the preachers. And, and this brother, he was like, you know, I, I was really struggling with that song, you know. And, uh, and he was like, man, I don't understand why they got it. I just feel like she makes it about herself. I mean, she's all of these motions and doing all the, singing the notes all over the place. And it's distracting to me. You know, and this was, now, this was his heart. And so he was saying that. And, and, I, and I just said, okay, that's, I, I need to, ignore, he's an elder, first of all. So scripture tells me, you know, hey, I need to treat him with respect, right? And I listened to him. I didn't agree with him, but I, I could understand where he was coming from. He's not used to that expressiveness yeah. while singing. And to him, expressiveness takes away from the message of the song, takes away from we're there to worship God. It makes him think she's just up there about herself. It's all show. It's about a show, yeah. a performance. So I, I, I li- and I listened, and I said, well, I, I, brother, I... I I got to be honest with you, you know, um, I don't believe that that was her intent, you know, and I said, when you are people who have, have been always on the losing team, when you're always in the minority, every standard is always not you, it's not your color, it's not your hairstyle, it's not the way you look, your music is never the one that gets the Grammy, your movies are never the ones that, you know, when you're living that day after day. But when you hear songs that talk about being free, taken into freedom, and if you're singing that and you want to go, if you feel like you got to move your arms a little bit, I said, bro, we cannot tell, we cannot say she's doing that just to perform. These, these lyrics resonate with people 
with, with people of color more than probably you realize. And we need to give her the freedom to express herself. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong. That's good. Doesn't mean we need to, now all of a sudden we need to stop doing that type of stuff. Because that's where he was headed. And I said, no, man, no, if we, you know, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, we need to give people the, and see, that's what sometimes I do feel, sometimes the segregation on Sunday, honestly, sometimes it comes down to these seemingly subtle messages that we're not going to have music for you because you don't, we don't value your presence. But we want to, we want you to believe that we're inclusive. But you're not really going to relate to the, the music, the style of speaking. You, we're not even going to, it's like you're invisible. That's the, way they, that's the way black people can feel. Now here's our situation. We, where our church building is, it's at the confluence of a kind of middle class, maybe lower middle class, white folks, Latinos. We got a lot of Latinos in our community. Where I, so I feel like for us, we're not representing the Latino community the way we could be. And so that's our blind spot. I think we've done okay with the white-black thing, but our building is smack dab in the middle of all these folks that we got to need to love. We need to love these folks. We need to give them a place where they can come and feel at home. You're in Marietta, right? You know, yeah, Marietta, Georgia, north of Atlanta. So so I'm not I'm not just about white and black. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about we can't sit here and say all nations and then set up a service that only appeals to one type of person. I mean, at what point do we go... Hmm. Now, if you're in a situation where the whole neighborhood is one race, I mean, I get it. That's that's different. You know, I, I get that. That's not your context. That's not our context. Yeah. Like, I, I've never been to Brentwood in my life. I don't really know. The, I don't know anything about the demographics. I'm assuming it's probably a lot of white folks in this area. So I'm assuming the church is probably mostly white. 90%. Okay. And, and probably within 10 miles, I'm assuming it's probably mostly white people. Okay, I get it. I mean, I get it. But I don't think that means you should never. But you. But if you're a member here and you have a, a black member, a black person at your job, or a Latino, or what Asian, whatever, I hope you're sharing the message of the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And I guarantee you, when you bring them to church with you, if they actually decide to show up, you're gonna want that. You're gonna want the people to be used to dealing with people not like them, and you're gonna want something in that service that says we appreciate you being here. It's not just something that we talk about, preach about. No, we actually want you here. And we appreciate you here. And can you come over to my house and let's have lunch or whatever. Uh, so I think we got to just keep growing in that. But if there's any group of people on the planet, John, that should know how to deal with people, not based on the way they look, it should be Christ followers. It's got to be. It's the one world, it's the, it's the world view that tells you who cares about that. Love, love them. Love them. Doesn't matter what they look like. Love them. So you're bringing the heat right now. This is good. I, especially with the, the music stuff you were talking about. Uh, and, and I don't know what your perception or perceptions are out there. Uh, there are a few white brothers and sisters that are tired of contemporary Christian music being the only thing we eat uh, on Sunday mornings. We, it, it gets a little old sometimes. And so uh, in Franklin, uh, we have an annual MLK Day worship gathering. And so, Damien, you were there. And, and it, Adam, were you there too? Okay. I hate to keep calling people out here. It was so, it was, but it, it, it's like a preview of heaven. But we're there. And this may be something you experience every week, but the, the diversity of music style and genre is refreshing. 
And it, to, just to look out there, it looks like the white people are more excited than the black people are. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's like, I think we, we need um, black spirituality in general, and especially the, 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 the conservative Christian stream. We're gasping for air uh, for a lot of reasons I won't even go into right now. Uh, and every time I have preached or just joined uh, my black brothers and sisters in a worship gathering, I, I never leave feeling depleted. Mm -hmm. I'm energized, and the Holy Spirit is so thick in that place. Yeah. Um, I just I think I think we um, I know we need each other. Yeah. But on behalf of the uh, not to, not to stereotype white Christianity, but um, I feel like as a white person I can do it. Uh, we we we're imbalanced in a lot of ways, and uh, what. Um, and I even feel like I need to choose my words wisely here because I'm afraid I'm going to offend people. So isn't that crazy? This is the nature of the topic. Like that's what I was telling everybody. One one phrase that could have been said the wrong way, and yeah. we're now we're enemies. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's what stinks about this topic. I, I know exactly. What I, you mean. I hate it. I mean, it's like Dallas Willard. Do y'all know who that is? Yeah. If you don't know Dallas Willard, you need. To... Uh, he's just he's an amazing author. He's dead now, but he said, uh, "Blessed are the unoffendable." <laughs> yeah. And I, I would think, especially like, like we have to learn the art of assuming the best about each other. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. And so, like, as you were taught to be suspicious, I was taught to be superior. Um, but when you assume the best and and see the good in people on the front end, it adds this healing balm into the relationship that you really need. And so. Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk about your friendships now. Can we talk about your friendships? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, how does the, does the toxic tone of our culture's conversation about race, has it influenced how you and your family do friendships at all? Uh, not really. I mean, just in my family, we're talking about my blood family. My wife is uh, a white woman from okay. small town Mississippi. Really? Right. Uh, and the, the funny thing about that is when I be, when I was baptized into Christ, my Filipino buddy Reuben wanted me to, wanted to set me up with Christy, who ended up being my wife years later. But I told him I didn't want to date any white women. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I was like, dude, I'm I'm tired of that. I, I, I'm, I don't want to get stared at by people. I don't want to get in trouble with. I just I'm tired of it. So I actually I I, I didn't go out with her for three years. Wow. <laughs> because he was white. And then, of course, I married her. So there you go. Um, <laughs> but, but in our home, so and, and then the way the Lord would do it, one of my daughters has my wife's skin coloring and my other has mine. And so I totally remember people staring at me like I was crazy when I had my more lighter, whiter looking daughter <laughs> at, the, at the grocery store. They'd be like looking at milk cartons and stuff like this dude is... Kidnapping that poor little girl. Oh, yeah. my poor little blonde girl is in trouble. Um, but uh, it, race is always an issue in our house, to be honest with you, uh, because our kids are navigating through that. And um, and they when, and when literally I've gone to my kids' school. And they, they somebody I remember once somebody told my daughter, "That's not your dad." Oh. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so it's just it's just it's just the way it is this world so um, but it's great because I think my girls 
get to learn about how to process. And I try to teach them, this is how I view the world, honey. You know, and then I, I remember even one time they were talking about, yeah, this girl at school, she's Mexican or something. I said, oh, hold, hold up. I said, so how, how do you know she's Mexican? Like, where is she from? I don't know. I mean, but she's Mexican. Hold up. Good for you. You know what I mean? Just, be, just because they're Latino doesn't mean they're from Mexico. You know, if you call a Guatemalan a Mexican, they might be ready to knock you out. You know what I mean? Um, or, or I'm just saying, or she's Chinese. How do you know she's from of Chinese heritage? How do you know it's not Vietnamese? How do you know it's not Korean? I mean, we have these discussions. I say, guys, we cannot do this. You know, this is 2017. You gotta learn how to be a person in this world where you actually don't just. We are, I, I, and I tell them all the time, guys, we're trying to make, we're trying to be a godly family. It's hard enough. It's hard enough just trying to live for God in this crazy world. Let's not just offend people off the jump by calling them like Mexican when they're Guatemalan or something like that. Let's, let's have the sensitivity to where we actually ask, now where, what is your heritage? I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Oh, thanks for asking. I'm from Costa Rica. Oh, cool. Awesome. Central America. Okay. Cool. And now, you can, then what can you do? I don't know. What, what do you think you could ask them? Oh, what's Costa Rica? Like, yeah, you know. And then, So I'm just trying to use these moments to not make it to where they're scared to say anything, but they understand, like, hey, people's culture means something to them. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it means something to them. Yeah, it means something to everybody. It mean, yeah, it means something to you. And, and sometimes we, the problem I think some of us have is, instead of being disciples of Jesus who happen to be Democrats, or disciples of Jesus who happen to be Republicans, or disciples of Jesus who happen to believe in healthcare or whatever, we, 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 we flip the script. And we, we come across as, well, I'm a Republican. No, I'm a Christian. Or, you know, whatever your affiliation is, whatever social action that you want to take becomes your top identifier. That's when we're in trouble. That's when we're in trouble. We have got to realize we are disciples of Jesus first. Who happen to be lawyers, doctors, work at administrative assistance, are Republicans or believe that this mayoral candidate is better than the other. But first, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm telling you, it gets messed up when people look at you, they look at your Facebook page, they look at all the tweets that you've sent. And the, the, the sum total of all of that are really all the affiliations that you have out there. And they're not of God. They're not from God. And yet, and yet you want to be seen as a light to the world. We're supposed to not be of the world, man. We're just supposed to be in it. <laughs> We're supposed to be strangers living in reverent fear, right? Just That's kind it. of making our way as foreigners through this crazy world. I read that somewhere. You know, we read that somewhere, right? Yeah. I think Peter yeah. might have read that, right? So we got to be careful that we don't self-identify with yeah. these other issues more than Jesus. And I think that's what messes us up. So I want to ask you one more question before we open it up for Q&A. What's our stop time, Damien? Quarter to. Oh man, we got twenty minutes. Wow, times. It's one. Yeah, when you're when you're talking about things that matter, it goes fast. So, uh, if you could like take your filter off, not that you've been filtered so far. Yeah. But if you could like really take it off, like I, I, I personally just would love to hear your answer, and I'm sure everybody else would. What would you say to a white follower of Jesus? who wants to step into 
the conversation, not just the conversation, but, but redemptive action with regard to race. Mm-hmm. But we don't, we don't know what to do. Uh, we, just, we just don't. Let's, let's say we don't. Yeah. I have my own ideas about this. But what would you, how would you advise that person? Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to, we are in our church context. <laughs> and so I'm being honest. You need, to, you need to read 1 Corinthians 13 about love and know every single word in it and put your name, you know, Josh is patient. Josh is kind, right? <laughs> He's not proud. He's not rude, right? Not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. So 1 Corinthians 13, be, embody love when you're trying to enter into these conversations. Mm, that's good. Love is the highest ethic. It's the, God is love. We're image bearers of God. We're supposed to bring love to the to this world. So know that and, and know the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Repeat that to yourself. Pray for the Spirit to be to just bear his fruit in your interactions. So I think start there. Because that's, that's what 99.9% of the population is not doing when they enter into these discussions. That's right. But we're image bearers of God. We were made in his image to, bring, to really bring him to bear on racial situations or on whatever. And so I would say that to, to, I would say that to a white person or a black person, but that to me is just starting place. Know who you are. You know, and, and, and go from that place and, and be genuine. But honestly, just to be, to, if I'm speaking to white people, here's the deal. The, the, the facts are, in this context, dude, you're like the majority. Okay, so I don't know the exact stats, but I mean, it's got to be like 60, 70% of the United States population is white. That sounds about right. So, I mean, you're always winning. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So... You're like, you're like winning the Super Bowl and then you get the first pick in the draft like every year. Do you know what I'm saying? And so when you're the other teams, you just, wow, it's hard to, it's hard to win. <laughs> and so just, all I'm trying to say is there's just an element of just look at us, look at any minority group as put yourself in those shoes and just try to just, just you don't understand what it. I read a book called *The Bluest Eye* by Toni Morrison in college, and it just it just kind of explored how challenging it is for you know little girls of color or whatever, and and the the Barbie dolls and the. It's just that concept that that's that's the standard of beauty. Okay, and if that's all you know. Your whole life is a little girl or whatever. This is the standard of beauty. At some point, when you look in the mirror and your hair does not do what Barbie's does. And you don't look anything like Barbie. And when you walk down the street, people don't respond to you like they do Barbie. You start to think things about yourself. And all I'm saying is there are a lot of folks that just feel like white people don't get it. <laughs> I think that's what I'm trying to say. Is that you don't realize just how discouraging it is when, we, when, we, when African-American people feel like white people don't even get it. They don't even realize the privilege that they have and just how it's challenging and the only time that we can say something, it's like, oh, well, you're bringing up slavery again. Yeah. And, you know, you're bringing that up again. When are you ever going to let it go? And, and I think sometimes it can feel like, man, can I get a little sensitivity up in here? 
I'm not, I'm not asking for a handout, but I'm just saying, I think, I think we should know that. I gave, this happened to me this week. But this is this week. I had a brother. He, he married, he's white. He married a black woman. I, uh, I, he was in the singles ministry when I first moved there. So I've been there to watch him get married and all that. So now the holidays are coming up. And his wife said, I don't want to be with your family around. And he was tripping. Oh my gosh, what? why don't you want to be with my family? And, she, and your family's racist, you know. And his black wife was just upset. And so his brother wants to get with me. Bro, I know you've had to deal with stuff, you know, because my, my wife's family did not accept our marriage. And only two people from her family came to our wedding and wouldn't let us go to Mississippi for five years. So I've experienced that kind of stuff. So I sat down with this brother and uh, he's like, I'm like, well, just give me an example. Have you seen your parents do anything? And he was like, yeah, the last time we were together, we were watching TV and a commercial came on. And it was a commercial for the United Negro College Fund. And my mom, after the commercial, made a comment like, man, I don't understand. Why don't we, why don't, why don't we just have a United you know, College Fund for white people, too? I don't understand why we need to do that kind of stuff. And it offended, it offended his wife. But see, that's where people live. That's where, that's where people live. That's their everyday life. So here's this black woman here and her mother-in-law said, and I'm tired about this, you know, we need to have a united white person college fund. And it feels like, man, you win the Super Bowl every year, you get the number one pick. Man, can't you just let us have one fund to help our kids go to college? Why is that so bad? Right? And there's, there's a lack of sensitivity. And I would encourage you, I, I, I just started maybe about a year or two ago, I just started listening to this podcast that's massively popular. Probably all of you probably, but the Bible Project. But they did something on justice. That was, it just, it just came out. And I liked it a lot. I don't know if you've heard it. I have. And, and it just that whole concept of, you know, <laughs> you know justice, in, in order to have a just society, like the way God in the scripture calls for just or justice or mishpah, that, that concept of, of what is justice, it's got embedded in that concept of, you know, you, you're, trying to, you're trying to help others up. It's the widow, the orphan, right? The quartet of the vulnerables or whatever. You know, the immigrant, the poor. When you're in the position of, of power, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to, you know, love people enough to bring up. That's like the, the biblical concept of, like, of justice, like Micah 6, you know? You know, to, to, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's, that's, the, that's the heart I would want white Christians to think about. Like, you know, in some respects, you, man, you've created a lot of the institutions in our country. You run a lot of them. Hey, man, I'm not mad at you. Hey, but you know what? Free market economy, democracy, we shouldn't fight for that more than Christian faith and beliefs. And we shouldn't hold somebody else down because they haven't mastered free market economy when they've been actually cut off from the system for centuries. <laughs> You know, but I do think sometimes people say, well, this is my right. I have earned this. It's mine. Why are you trying? Are you trying to say I need to be a socialist and just give my stuff away? My family worked hard for this. And sometimes I feel like there, there are whites that I feel like who claim to be Christians that don't understand. There's a part of being a godly person where you actually are trying to give up your rights. How about that? You're, you're, you're trying, you, you know, you're trying to actually model for the world that you don't cling to your stuff so much. The things of this world haven't got you so messed up that you're unwilling, you're close-fisted. 
No, I think the ethic of scripture over and over again shows that no, mishpat, justice, build others up. You know, help the, help the poor, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan. You know, spend yourself in be, in, on behalf of them. So I, I just, honestly, I think, yeah, I think in this culture, I wouldn't say that if we were in another country, but we're in this one. And I, I think, you have, I think, honestly, I think white American Christians could be like the Barnabases in Acts 11. Right? Or, you know, we, we just talked about that. When, or Acts 4, he sold his, sold his a, a field he owned and gave the proceeds to the church to meet the needs of the new church. I mean, wow. But that was his right. That was his. Why did he give it up? Why did he give it up? Because he'd been fundamentally changed from within. You know? And uh, I think we need, to, we need to have stuff like that, that heart. And I think you have a unique ability in this particular country to show the world God's mishpah, his justice, uh, by not clinging to your stuff and your rights so much. Um, and I think black people, I think what we can grow in is we gotta, we, we also have to, we have to figure out how to not lose hope and how to persevere, you know, and not just assume every white person is a racist. We gotta figure out how to do that, right? And that can be hard. And not get offended so, you know, off, off the jump, right? We have to figure that out. Uh, and we have to learn how to be loving even, even when we don't get the love back. Hmm, that's like Jesus. You know, we have, we have our role too. Um, and, uh, and we have to we have to learn how to balance the we want it now you know read Dr. King's letter from the Birmingham jail you tell me to wait 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 means never you know that's what that's what it means you know justice delayed is just justice denied uh, so I think sometimes we can feel that but I think also we've got to learn that we've got to believe in the redemption that God can bring about and we've got to figure out well what is our role in that are we going to be the angry black person that shuts down every conversation? Or are we going to draw people out? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. You know, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. You know, it takes a man of understanding to draw them out. we got to learn how to draw white folks out. Yeah. we got to learn how to do that. And not assume the worst. That's good. You know? And so, I don't know. There's a lot in there. I don't know. That's, 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 that's fresh water uh, for my soul. I needed to hear that, those words uh, to the white Christian I've, I have learned that I have never, ever regretted listening, uh, especially when I'm with someone from a different background. Uh, one of the most loving things we can do for each other is just sit down and shut up yeah. and ask questions. Yeah. Uh, I'm always saying. pleasantly surprised when I've done that, and I've always regretted it when I've spoken too soon or when I've assumed too much. Uh, so yeah, that, I really I've, I've got so many things I would love to say in response to it, but we we have about eleven minutes. So, uh, Damien, I'm going to let you decide who gets to ask questions. <laughs> so uh, we may have time. Uh, we're, we're just we're going to stop at one forty-five. So, and when they ask the question, if you guys can repeat, yes, yeah. you ask the question, we re- we repeat it, and then we'll uh, we'll do our best to answer it. What would you say to a white person who might feel anxiety or fear because they might not be able to uh, differentiate between equality, feeling equal with everyone, or they might sense that as like being attacked almost? 
with that fear, like, they fear that um, they're being marginalized, even though they're, what they're really feeling is equality. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or if you say you're a white person, just confused by that. How would you repeat that question? <laughs> I'm sorry. I think I'm from uh, Alabama. You gotta go slow, man. I think it's the what I heard was a white person can feel like you know you you're now making me marginalized in this culture. In uh, order, you know, why is that? But in fact, we're just trying to kind of make things more equal. Yeah. But to some white people, that this is like unfair. I, I don't know if that's you didn't say the word unfair, but oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it, it's kind of like. The, the, the concept, this is not apples to apples, but it just the scripture hit my mind. It's kind of like the special collection that Paul went around uh, to get for the, the church in Jerusalem was struggling. So he went around to the different churches and he, and he kind of said, look, I'm not trying to get this money so that you'll become poor and just make them rich. You know, I'm, that's not that's not my heart. I'm just try, I'm just trying to meet their needs, man. I'm just trying to do my part. And I think sometimes we just got to help uh, those again that are in the white American culture. Just to realize, like, man, just if they're a Christian, I don't think the, the, the message should be that hard to get. You know, it's like if you're a Christian with a, with a biblical worldview, it seems like it wouldn't be that hard to realize, like, you know, man, you know, God just wants, like the sister said the other day, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, man. Let's just let's just do things that help all of us. You know, and sometimes that means that like Jesus, we might have to deny ourselves. Luke 9, right? So that self-denial is actually a part of following Jesus. Giving up certain things is actually, that helps us be more like Jesus. And so that's actually not a bad thing. Maybe this is God working in you to help you be more like him. To help you experience other people getting some, maybe a foot up and a leg up in certain situations. Maybe you do have to experience a little hurt, pain, inconvenience, or whatever, so that someone else can make it. But isn't that what isn't that Jesus is? I mean, so, I don't know. I don't want to oversimplify, but, but I don't know. I think it's true. I wish they would stop being so loving to the people that come visit. <laughs> uh, uh, no, young lady from St. Louis is just saying her church is predominantly white. And um, when they do have people of color that come visit, sometimes it's very overwhelming because a large number of people will flock to them. And it can feel awkward and weird. And she's trying to figure out, is there any way to figure that thing out? To, to make them feel welcome, but not have like a stampede over to them like... Uh, an exhibit at a zoo or something. So, um, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. That's a really good. Well, you might. I don't know. You. 
I don't really have an answer. This, I mean, wow, this is like the. Maybe that's something for your welcome committee people, <laughs> or what? I'm, I mean, maybe maybe there's some protocol that you decide in your context that works really good. That maybe some of your greeters, you know, like they really learn how to pull them aside and, and encourage them to tell them about the tell them about the church and actually say, hey, you know, I'm going to try to introduce you to a lot of people. Hope it's not overwhelming. <laughs> but we're really glad we're really glad you're here. We're we're trying to grow in our diversity. I'm sure you probably you probably noticed that. I mean, you know, you just try to make light of it. But maybe maybe you just pull them in to be, be honest about where you are as a congregation at this point and how grateful you are. But maybe somebody from the welcome team like even sits with them and just kind of maybe learns how to quarterback the stampede. I don't know. That might that might help. <laughs> So she's asking about should uh, should there be policies and procedures and standards in place for church staff on social media? Yes. In writing, and there should be a zero tolerance policy. It's so explosive and inflammatory and distracting uh, that there's just, there's no excuse. So uh, when I started working at Harpeth Christian. Four years ago, uh, there was an annual conversation in our staff meetings about Facebook, especially. And then we actually have um, we have a we have a policy. It's it's so specific. Uh, and so, did they make you sign it, Damien? Did they make you sign it? They being the, the powers that be. Uh, I think actually I helped write it because it was it was. Uh, I, I just, I tell you something else. I go one step further, and I'm going to hold myself to this. Uh, and I think that every now and then it's good for, for pastors to stand up and say, we can't mandate what you decide to do on social media. But can we all, like, step into a 40-day social media fast and, like, just stop it for a period and just... what? Use the time we would be refreshing our news feed and seeing the insanity scrolling down. Could we immerse our minds in the Word of God? Mm-hmm. And like, not just say that, but like, do it. Uh, we do need policies, but we also, people need to be weaned uh, from the, the, uh, the dopamine uh, that gets released 
when our phones buzz and vibrate and, and, and everything else. And so if y'all were here for uh, the sun, for uh, Marcus Dicker of all presentation on addiction, um, internet slash phone usage and social media, it's, it's all highly addictive. So I won't chase that rabbit right now, though. being honest and open. And my question is, in your church, y'all have intentional discussions, because my wife and I a few months ago in our city of Baton Rouge, through the public library, we had a dialogue on rates for a few weeks. And sadly, you know, we, we were clueless in some ways, and you know, it kind of brought to light some, some thoughts that we had never, you know, been the majority white mindset. And so, at your church, you know, they were saying dialogue is actions and just talking about it sometimes it's fearful to even discuss it. Do y'all have any intentional uh, groups at your church that kind of address, kind of educate us, or kind of throw out ideas, say this is the way things are and what can we do as believers to move to represent the Lord? Go for it. He's asking about um, does our church have any intentional opportunities for dialogue? Regarding race relations, um, do we have anything like that where we pull people together and talk about these types of topics, maybe offer solutions or whatever? Um, I think in the 10 years I've been there, we did something maybe once. Douglas, you were there, right? It was, but it, we haven't done a lot of it. I guess to be honest with you, we haven't, unless I'm forgetting, y'all can tell me if you're here from North River, but we just haven't put that into our calendar or our, our rhythm of our life to open up and have forums like that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just, answering, I'm just saying we haven't made a practice of that. Um, and so, but maybe we should. You know. One more question. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> no, that would be nice. Um, really appreciate the discussion. Yes. And we've had a lot of the same kind of discussions. Um, my wife and I have been a part of the same sister churches as Jeff. For 35 years, when it was went from predominantly white to being in congregations where we watched it go from the 85% to 60-40 to 55-45 in many cities across the South, from Nashville to Miami to Atlanta, you know, throughout. But what I'm going to ask, especially from River, and this may help for churches that aren't like that, because our Sunday services are our predominant face, generally, of, of our congregation. And I think even if it's not um, as a broadly diverse, there's usually not an all-anything church, generally. Yeah. You know, there's a smattering. You know, we got Damien here, who I've known for years. Is, is how, how intentional, or are you intentional about um, the public presentation in your church of at least the diversity that you have. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We were talking about the music, yeah. and that was one of the things that did me the whole weekend, too, because Deb and I are worship leaders. And we've been very intentional about song names, um, everything from country to classical to gospel to those things. But then also, who's up front, or, or how intentionally about who, who you present as the public face of your church. Yeah. Um, and Steve's asking, uh, 
are we intentional with regards to Sunday morning is really the public face is the term he used for the church. Are we intentional in uh, really showing that diversity with the people that we put up front in front of everybody? Um, and I, I would say we, we try to be. And I'm sure you could come a random Sunday and we miss the boat. But quite honestly, I mean, I'll be honest. Sometimes we, we look at the order of service on a Thursday or Friday and we go, there's just too many, there's just too many white people or everyone's old or everyone's young. Or, that's not good. You know, we'll, and we'll change up the people on the program, you know, or the song leaders are all a certain race or whatever. That's not good. Let's mix up the people that are doing the part singing. Let's reflect who we are because sometimes we do, we do miss it. We, we, we do miss it, but it's important to have, uh, we've got a young guy on our staff who's in his 20s and I keep trying to, he's, a, he's, a, he's from, from Africa, his name Adoye, and I, I want him to preach on Sunday. Like, I'm like, let's get that guy up there. Um, I think that's helpful. Uh, I want to get younger guys up there preaching. I want to get the, I want a little bit of everything. And I think that that's the only way that we, we can't say we're the church of this world or the, or the next generation, which is what we like to say. We're here for the next generation. We can't do that if everybody's old that's up there. We, we, so we got to learn how to, you know, follow through on what we claim our ideals are, whether that's race or, or age or gender, or whatever. So we're, we're growing. We're trying to figure it out. But we do care about that. I, I really believe that. It's a good word. So. Thank you for being here. Thank Thanks, man. It's this. been a pleasure. To it's been a good conversation. Yeah. The fact that you're here is really encouraging to me that you care about the topic. And uh, I, I want to lead us in a, a, a bit of a guided prayer. So I'm going to want to put some silence uh, into our prayer time. Uh, I think it, it, this is just such an intense and timely thing. Uh, and I think in our better moments we know that what we long for is the, the coming and the consummation of the kingdom of God. Yep. That's what I want more than anything else. And that's what you want too. That's what everybody wants. Uh, and our desire for racial reconciliation is ultimately for a, a kingdom that has not been fully inaugurated yet. But we get glimpses of it, don't we? Yes, we do. We get foretastes, and they're so sweet, but they're not all the way. The, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's still a sense of incompletion. Mm-hmm. And what... What the Lord has commissioned us to do as the church is to be the trailer, the preview before the movie. And we're supposed to show people the age to come and give them a glimpse of it. That cannot be achieved with human cleverness or government programs or wisdom. We just can't. This is a supernatural endeavor. It's like defying gravity. And so could we all just submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus right now? And I'm going to lead us in a brief guided prayer, and just just go with me on this, okay? Okay. Father, right now we, in a surrendered way, surrender as we can be right now, we ask you to help us see people, all kinds of people, through your eyes.
And Lord, would you remove anything in our churches that even hints at racial disharmony? Causes us to feel superior or suspicious to people who are not of our race or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Jesus, would you give us a burden to aggressively expand the borders of your kingdom? Help us to drop our personal causes and petty amusements. Help us to go all in. Mm -hmm. Help us to do whatever it takes to show the watching world how real you are, how good you are, how powerful you are. We confess that, on the whole, with regard to racial reconciliation, the church in America has been years behind the culture. We are not where we need to be. We know it grieves you. It doesn't grieve us nearly enough. Help us to actually lead the culture. Help the church of Jesus Christ in North America to be the gold standard for racial harmony. May it be so, Jesus. Only you can do this. Help us to know our part. Give us courageous faith. Help us to get over ourselves. And help us to only be concerned with honoring you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, name above all names, uh, our Savior, Lord, hope giver, sin remover, shame destroyer, bondage breaker, and so much more. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. That message was from the Strength and Weakness Ministries track called Cultural Issues and Disciple Making at the National Disciple Making Forum. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources like this podcast at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.